The following podcast is sponsored in part by the Blue Ridge Institute for Theological Education. For more information about the Institute, please visit our website at bright-va.org. That's B-R-I-T-E-V-A.org. And now, here is Larger for Life, a podcast on the Westminster Larger Catechism. Well, friends, welcome, and thanks for tuning in to this inaugural episode, this maiden voyage of this new podcast enterprise that we are trying out, Larger for Life, a podcast on the Westminster Larger Catechism. I want to take this time to introduce our host for this program. My name is Sean Morris. I'm a teaching elder serving at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and we've got several uh, cohorts or co-conspirators might be the better word here, but let's just go around the room and introduce some of our co-hosts here to you. Let me start with Derek to my left. Co-belligerent number one, Derek Brott, and I'm a uh, pastor in Aliceville, Alabama at First Presbyterian. Matthew Adams, uh, you can call me Matt, uh, since we, you know, dialogue so much on podcasts. Matty Oss. Matty Oss. I mean, you can call me that as well, I guess. But The, the resident SEC football coach of the PCA is well, here for our as podcast. As a Clemson fan, I would rather be an ACC coach, but nonetheless, <laughs> um, Matt Adams, teaching elder, First Presbyterian Church in Dillon, South Carolina. And Stephen Spinnenweber the senior pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Jacksonville, Florida. And it is... Stop that. Look, just because I'm not like in a first pres, Aliceville, or, you know, I'm not in a first pres church. I'm important, too. Westminster <laughs> Presbyterian Church. You don't is that think any I know... relation to the Westminster standards? A direct relation. It actually came from our church. Look it up. Look I, it just, up. I just put the Wikipedia page that, up. That's history, man. It is. It that's is. Right. That is and it's not revisionist history. That's bona fide. It is irrefutable. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, we're here, and we, we forgot to introduce our other co-conspirator. He might have to step over to that mic close to Derek here, but we've got another another co-conspirator co-host come here. Who's come from across... We, we have an international presence. He's come from across the pond. This Wait. man traveled all the way across the Atlantic Ocean just to join us for this inaugural podcast this evening. Uh, Nick Bullock, the successor to John Calvin in the city of Stuttgart, Germany. <laughs> the first Presbyterian church in Baden-Württemberg. Might have to get a little bit closer, even, just so you know. Uh, Nick Bullock, uh, successor to John Calvin in Stuttgart, Germany. First Presbyterian church in Baden-Württemberg. Beautiful. Gesundheit. And we've got all kinds of different seminary background representation here. We've got... Nick and I from RTS Jackson, the mothership of the RTS system. We've got Derek from RTS Atlanta. Is that right? That's right. We've got Matt Adams. Now, you've got some ties with RTS Charlotte, but I'm not sure if I have the right degree program in mind or not. That's right. Pursuing a, a doctorate in ministry from RTS Charlotte right now. only have two classes left, and then I have to write my project. But I went to seminary in the land of the ARP, Erskine uh-huh. Seminary. So um, had a good time with my... <laughs> <laughs> with my brothers and sisters, I, I guess, in the ARP, since they just reconfirmed uh, their position on that. Um, but they always used to tell me that ARP stood for a real Presbyterian. Uh-huh. Um, I beg to differ. But nonetheless, uh, I enjoy my time at Erskine. Excellent. And then we've got our friend Stephen Spinnewever, proud graduate of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. If my mustard shirt proves anything to you right now, it is that I am a Greenville Seminary grad. 
beautiful. Polar opposite view on women there in the room of seminary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, um, wow. <laughs> We're just going for the jugular in the first that's episode. That's it. Roll so, tide. Roll tide. We are off to an auspicious start. Well, hey, this, this is a this is a pilot program. It's an introductory program, and as the all three listeners who are currently listening to this later on have already figured out that we mean we mean for it to be laid back and to be fun, uh, but as well as as we when we get on into the further episodes for it to be more of a serious endeavor. But this is just a pilot program where we hope to introduce to our audience what it is we're doing, what we have in mind for this project, what it is we're hoping to accomplish tonight. We're not going to get into any particular deep study of. Uh, the contents of the Westminster Larger Catechism. We'll save that for future episodes to come. But we wanted to talk ever so briefly about the uh, the origins of this project, how it came to be, some of our ideas for it. And uh, so I'll just try and throw a few questions out there, and half because I'm pretending to be professional and half because I've genuinely forgotten, and I'm hoping you guys can remind me. But as we were putting our heads together at recent events, just hanging out, chatting, and things like that, I think we were coming to realize that there are podcast resources out there from a couple different places, like the fellows over at Jerusalem Chamber, which is run by several RPCNA ministers. Those guys are slowly walking through the Westminster Confession more properly. Uh, our friends over at Presbycast are doing walking through Westminster. They're slowly walking through the Westminster Confession properly. There's been several podcasts out there about the shorter catechism. But to the best of our knowledge, we haven't come across any podcast resources, at least, regarding the larger catechism. Now, Spin, you and I have talked about that a little bit, so what are you hoping to do as we jump into this Larger for Life, Westminster Larger Catechism podcast? Why in the world do we settle on that kind of name? What's that mean for what we're up to here? Yeah, uh, shout out to my buddy Tommy Park, uh, with whom I did the Shorter Podcast uh, through the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and then we brought in some resident experts on different chapters. So Chancellor of RTS, uh, Lincoln Duncan was one of our guests. We had a lot of fun with that. Uh, we had Burke Parsons, Carl Truman. So we had a good sampling of people, and I think it was a good representation of uh, Westminsterianism as, as it's represented in the Shorter Catechism. But like you said, there is already uh, podcasts that are doing really good work on the Westminster Confession of Faith, but to my knowledge, not anything that's being done on the larger catechism. So I mentioned to Tommy, we, we kind of flirted about the idea, like, what would a larger catechism podcast look like? And I told him that when we were all together at a GRN council meeting that I'd mentioned it to a couple of friends of mine, and they were excited about it, the prospect. He gave us a blessing and said, go ahead, uh, have fun with it. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun walking through the larger catechism because I think even as ministers, it's our most underutilized portion of the Westminster standards, and yet it's the most practical. It is the most practical. The Shorter Catechism uh, is great for its brevity. The Westminster Confession is great just for, I think, clarity and distilling these big theological concepts um, down into digestible portions. But the larger catechism really spells out for you, especially in its exposition of the law, all the ways in which either we violate it, all the ways in which we're required to keep it. And, um, I mean, we'll go through this at some point, I hope, but favorite larger catechism questions, mine are the questions on why Christ needed to be God, why he needed to be man, and why he needed to be God and man. Mm -hmm. So I think those are great questions. The larger catechism helps us to ask questions that we didn't know we should be asking. And I'm excited for people to see that as we work through it together. Yeah, it's... 
it's just such a tremendous resource that, and even in our own minor preparations for this, we found that there are not a whole ton of commentaries out there for this resource. It's an underutilized resource, and hopefully, not because we're, we're hardly the experts here, but we hope to grow in our own understanding and appreciation for it by going through it together, and, and hopefully that's of some use and benefit for the listeners as well, because there's a lot of familiarity, relatively speaking, there's a lot of familiarity with the Confession and with the Shorter Catechism, but it shows us how far we've come generationally when, back in the day, the larger catechism was for ordained elders. The shorter catechism was for children. It was what it was intended to be. Nowadays, we have a children's catechism for children, and I don't know about y'all's seminary and presbytery experiences, but generally they teach toward the shorter catechism for ordinance uh, as ministers are preparing for ordination. And the larger catechism uh, largely gets set aside, and in, in one of the prefaces, it says something to the extent of the larger catechism is useful for those who have made some progress in religion. And so for those of us who are ordained elders in the church, we trust that we've made some progress in religion, and uh, hopefully it'll be to our great benefit, uh, but also to the people's great benefit as well. Derek, you've been mentioning a few things, thinking along those lines as well. What what thoughts do you have in, on that regard? Yeah, I, I think that um, certainly when I was in seminary, I mean, even to graduate, I had to pass a, an exam on the shorter catechism. Did y'all have to do that at Erskine? We did. That's surprising. We did, actually. Um, so, good for you guys. Making making progress. Just I'm the happy. Presbyterian students. If you're trying yeah. to get Erskine to support this podcast, we've already <laughs> torpedoed our chances. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, but uh, in all seriousness, I... Um, uh, I was always familiar with the shorter catechism, and uh, but when I became a pastor, I started to read the larger catechism mainly because of counseling practices. You know, I had a lot of people coming to me for counseling, and uh, many of the questions they asked, I was able to just go directly to the larger catechism and find the answers and find the scriptures to back them up. And uh, similar to what uh, Spin said about the law, you know, I think... The Ten Commandments in the larger catechism is one of the most underutilized and underappreciated parts of the entire standards. Um, so I've thoroughly enjoyed um, getting more familiar with the larger catechism. And not only that, but um, teaching the Westminster Standards for Birmingham Theological Seminary, uh, which is a required class there, shameless plug. Um, Wonderful. But, uh, you know, having to not just familiarize students with the confession and the shorter catechism, but being able to point them to the larger catechism and the the truths that are uh, developed there, uh, it's just been a great blessing, and I think it's worthwhile to study more. And I think every presbyter should um, should really do a deep dive and, and study those things. That's good. Now, let me ask Nick a little bit about this, too, because you have the particularly unique uh, vantage point where you're laboring in a context. You're currently laboring in Germany. Uh, you're laboring, if I'm not misunderstanding, in founding a church in your city, which is the first Westminsterian church in the history of that city. Uh, so certainly we think of the Germany's the land of the Reformation, we think of Luther and so forth, but and maybe we think of the German Reformed and then the Heidelberg Catechism and three forms of unity, but we don't always think of the Westminster Standards as, as being deeply rooted or, or, or robust there. But do you think that for your people and your context that a, a deep dive study presentation into the Westminster larger catechism would yield dividends for them and their piety? I do, I do think so, because in the Westminster Confession, what we have are a system of formulae of theology, but what you have in the larger catechism is a body of piety that's applied to the Christian life in a mature fashion that's accessible, and particularly so for the modern world in which we live. 
uh, theological questions which are constantly harassing the young Presbyterian and Reformed Church in Germany, and really, likewise, also the uh, very well-established and sometimes wandering Presbyterian Church in the United States, uh, the larger catechism speaks not just generally to the issues, but directly to the questions that are posed uh, to the church today. So I, I think so. I think likewise it teaches our people how to ask questions and to think about doctrine in a biblical fashion with mature language and mature categories. So it's very applicatory, you know, because the Westminster Confession of Faith is is not as obviously applicatory, I would say, as the larger catechism. So like you said, this is really addressing a lot of those questions uh, that people are going to have about, hey, why do you believe what you believe, but then what are we to do? I think you hit on something there, that this really does address head-on those questions that people are being posed today, especially about how to live as a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Matt, you and I were, were talking about this some time ago in that there's plenty of podcasts out there that are that are talking about the current issues of the day. They're talking about the addressing the, the hot topic, theological issues of the moment, and there's certainly a place for that. But that's not really what we're aiming for in this particular project. Now, of course, as we go through these questions and they're hitting on particular theological loci, um, there may be controversies of the day that we ought to bring up and, and speak to that matter. But really, we're not here to talk about current news or current events so much as much as we are trying to unfold the pastoral and theological and churchly applications that we derive from uh, this catechism. So that's a long-term endeavor, and that's, that's a more steady endeavor than maybe the, uh, than maybe the, the hot take of the day sort of, sort of thing, wouldn't you say? Sure. You know, one of the things that, you know, Nick's hit on now, Spins hit on now, is that when we're, when we're discipling uh, Christians within our church, or even children within our church, we are preparing them to go and pilgrim through a strange land, right? Um, I mean, we're waiting on the second coming of Christ, where he ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, uh, and yet we know that we're strangers in a sin-filled land. Therefore, we're asking the questions, what do these doctrines mean for everyday living? Larger for life. It's not a bad diet plan. It is literally saying that these doctrines matter for the daily Christian as he walks amongst the sin-filled world. And so we could, you know, it's easy to address the hot topics and, and pull a couple of uh, scriptural proofs to to back your thinking of the day. Uh, many people do that, and they do bad eisegesis, and they make the Scriptures say what they want it to say. We're saying the larger catechism is a great summary of the Scripture, of the doctrines of the Scripture, and now let the whole counsel of God determine what the whole Christian looks like as they, uh, as they await the second coming of Jesus, um, as, they, as they pilgrim well, we might say. That's right. Yeah, and it's, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, and it's probably wrong, but we, we live in a time and an age where people just don't read as much as they used to. Uh, how many of our churches have copies of the Trinity Hymnal or the Trinity Psalter Hymnal? And there's Westminster Standards tucked in the back of those hymnals that people could access from their, from their pew racks or their chair racks any week, but I'm not sure how often that happens. But the thing is, people do listen to podcasts. They may, they may not read a book, but they'll download and listen to hours and hours and hours of different podcasts. And some of them are... Even of us. Even of us. Heaven help us. <laughs> and maybe to be determined. <laughs> we'll see. To, that's right. I've upset some people already. That's so. true. It's still, it's still TBD. How dare you? <laughs> 
Well, Sean, uh, a question for you. So you work, Derek works with Birmingham Theological Seminary. You work with the Blue Ridge Institute for Theological Education. So tell me how you anticipate or how you hope this podcast is going to be useful for those who are going through seminary education. Yeah, I, I think, at least my, my hope is, is that both for lay people and for those in more serious uh, structured theological studies, that this can be a useful resource, certainly not to take the place of any formalized education, but hopefully as a useful supplement. So in addition to their sitting under the preached word, in addition to their faithful attendance at Sunday school and the faithful attendance in the discipleship in their own local church, that this might be the kind of resource that they can use while they're out on their morning walk, uh, while they're driving on their commute to work, while they're out doing their exercises and they're listening to podcasts, that in addition to the the current events theological podcast that people download and, and listen to, many of which are useful, it's just not what we're trying to be, um, that they might find this in this podcast, hopefully, a resource for maybe further exposure or maybe even exposure for the first time to this thing called the Westminster Larger Catechism and the riches of doctrine and theology and resources for piety that are within it. I think that even in the most robust and healthy of PCA and other NAPARC churches, I I wonder if that there aren't that many people with a familiarity with the Westminster Larger Catechism. That's not a knock against them, that's just reality. So if this can serve in a small way to give people fresh, renewed, or again, first-time exposure to this wonderful resource that is the Larger Catechism, then I'd call it a success. Mm, good word. Good can word. I add to that and just say that the Larger Catechism is a great tool for answering questions that we often take for granted. So if you come into um, most... Reformed or Presbyterian churches, um, perhaps you have a, a confession of faith or affirmation of faith during your service. Uh, every week we do uh, the Apostles' Creed, and sometimes we substitute the Nicene Creed. And it never fails. Um, before we recite the Apostles' Creed virtually every week, I explain the two clauses that give people the most trouble, right? He descended into hell, and I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And, uh, of course, you all know me well. Our listeners will find out I'm a big believer in Reformed Catholicity. Um, but every time we um, do the Apostles' Creed and I explain those two clauses, I always have somebody come up and say, I'm really glad you explained that to me. I've always wondered about those things. I've heard them my whole life, or I've heard them you know, since I've become a Presbyterian or Reformed or whatever, and I just never uh, knew the explanation. Well, you know, for something like He Descended Into Hell— what does that mean? Well, let's go to larger catechism 49 and 50, and we can find the answer to that and find the explanation and dig the dig through the scriptures. So it's something good, I think, for the layperson, um, as Sean said, about uh, it being a supplement and it being a help and um, obviously not replacing formal education, but it's a great resource, and at least we hope it will be a great resource to where somebody says, you know what, I've got a question about this. Oh, you know what, I've got a podcast um, and I can listen to this, and they'll answer the question. And um, and I think that's a benefit. And honestly, it's a benefit to pastors because pastors are inundated with questions and emails and business and all things all the time. Well, if they can say to uh, perhaps a new um, member or somebody inquiring and say, hey, go listen to this and tell me what you think of this, and we can talk about it. It's something about that serves maybe even as a foundation for some people and a help. So I think it's um, it's much needed. Our, our German contingent has a word. One of the things I think that the catechisms do for us today 
is they take the confessional doctrines that we love, mm. those things that are in large chapters with various sections, and they help the modern reader to fight against historical anachronism, mm. where we believe, in essence, in ourselves, well, that's just an old confession of faith. It can't possibly uh, speak to the issues of our age. And so one of the things that I think catechesis does for us is it introduces us to the doctrinal humility that we ought to have, that we could be learning from fathers uh, that lived in a world filled with sinners just like us, that uh, had human passions exactly like us, even though the God of, of heaven has no human passions. Um, but that, that it, it brings these things down into the contemporary milieu of the Christian life. And uh, one of the things that I'm so convinced of, and I see it in, in Stuttgart, I, I think as well in, in the United States, is that uh, th- there is a, an arrogance of the present age where we believe that we have to redefine the Christian faith in our own terms. Every generation is so unique. Mm. Uh, moreover, it's so theologically robust in its acumen that it not only has the responsibility but capacity to redefine the faith for the present age. And I just think that the catechisms confront us with the fact that this has been done. Our our fathers in the faith, they can direct us, and they have directed us. And ultimately, I, I think of the larger catechism as the opportunity to sit at the breakfast table with my fathers and my grandfathers and let them disciple me mm. as a man not just as a child with a shorter catechism, but as a man pursuing Christ. And doesn't that take a tremendous really amount good. of pressure off of you? Because I think the pressure of modernity, right, is we need to reinvent the wheel. We need to reinvent the wheel. We need to come up with a new confession. We need to come up with a new statement. We need to have a new catechism, right? We need to have a new catechism for insert locale. Yeah, a new versus, city catechism. Oh, now we're cooking. Uh, <laughs> but to just... How much work, I, I, again, because we have a lot of work to do as ministers of the gospel, right? Rightly applying and dividing the word of truth and shepherding the congregation, but to have that ready resource that you can just put it in your toolbox, and then you could carry that to the pastoral visit, I, that just helps us so much. So not only does it breed humility, but it also equips us and makes us that much more competent to engage in the work of pastoral ministry, whether it be from behind the pulpit or, you know, in the home, is that I've got tried and true resources that I can lean upon and then find my own ways of applying that doctrine that was so well thought of and debated for a thousand meetings. Was it a thousand meetings of the Westminster Assembly? So these things were not uh, spur the moment. These weren't just a handful of thoughts that guys had at some point. This was debated, this was fussed over, and I think we'd be foolish to just kind of turn our noses up at it and say, but we can do better. Mm. So I think Nick's mm. onto something. No, that's, that's, that's a good word. Yeah, none of us, certainly none of us in this room and few in our generation are nearly as smart, wise, or pious uh, as those forefathers in the faith, and we would do well to learn, uh, to learn from their knee, as it were. Uh, like like children looking to our spiritual fathers, um, you know it strikes me that you know it, it, and what we're hoping to do in this project is you know obviously we're, it's 
it's hopefully going to be an informed yet casual conversation. You know, we're having some fun and some laughs and some banter, but hopefully amongst five ordained elders coming together with our, our collective thoughts and study and preparation, it will be a useful, informed yet casual conversation, like a roundtable discussion as we're going through the catechism questions and discussing them together. But one of the things we also hope to do is invite in guests from time to time as certain theological topics or issues arise in the catechism questions, not every week, but every once in a while we hope to bring in a guest or two as might be useful, maybe as a one-off episode that might be useful and interesting to our listeners and benefit them as well. I think the other thing to realize is that this is not going to be a short-term project. Uh, Spin, when you were doing your shorter catechism podcast, how long did that take you to get through all 107 questions of the Shorter Catechism? That was a COVID labor. So that started when we were in lockdown, and we just got stir-crazy and said, how can we redeem the time for these uh, these days are evil and they're annoying? So we did a podcast, <laughs> and we did it through the Shorter Catechism. Now, we did collapse toward the end, partly probably just because we were like, all right, we're pushing. Uh, let's let's wrap this up. But we, I think, did the Lord's Prayer in maybe one episode. But other than that, some of the shorter catechism questions, as you can imagine, what does the fifth commandment require? What does it forbid? What are the reasons annexed to the fifth commandment? So we would collapse some of those uh, questions into one episode because they fell under the umbrella of one topic. But it took over a year. It took over a year. And that was with interviews every single week. So like you said, we're not going to do interviews on that same level of frequency because I think the five of us will have plenty to talk about, but it will be, I think, refreshing. It'll be fun for us to kind of pick the brains of people who are resident experts in the topics that we're talking about and to have the listeners benefit from home. So let me ask a question in case our listeners don't know. We've not planned any of this, but I want to ask a question to my other, my fellow guests here, or fellow hosts. Do you remember who taught you to love the standards. Like, mm-hmm. do you remember the first person who maybe quoted the standards to you and you thought, I need to know that? I'll tell you mine, first of all. There were several, by the way, mm-hmm. who taught me to love the standards, but I would say the first time I really remember the standards, whether it's the confession, shorter or larger, being quoted from memory that made me uh, really want to study them deeper was actually, and I'm pitching this ball to Matt Adams here, but it was actually Doug Kelly. In a lecture. I felt like that was coming, Derek. I know that you're a Doug <laughs> Kelly fan, fangirl. Um, yeah, you know, it, you know, Dr. Kelly is uh, well-versed uh, in the catechisms. Um, I, I love talking with him about the, the nuances of the confession. Uh, one of the things that he loves about the catechisms is not only does it unify us to the fathers that have come before us, right? I mean, he's really into the early church fathers, but... It also should unify us as a denomination in the PCA or even in the Presbyterian Reform world. Uh, mine was Dr. Mark Ross uh, at Erskine. With I, I took a Westminster Standards class with him, and he started just off the cuff, like quoting uh, large portions of the uh, of the Confession. Uh, you know, lamented that you know, we mentioned it, the seminaries have moved kind of to this idea that the ministers should be memorizing the shorter uh, instead of the larger. Um, and so uh, that that class in and of itself uh, was uh, instrumental uh, for me because um, I grew up in, the, in a Pentecostal church. Um, I didn't know creed but Christ, right, mm-hmm. is the big call of the 
of the Pentecostal big evangelical movement. And, and so when I began to hear expositional preaching, learning about these creeds and confessions, talking with Presbyterian fathers of the faith, and they began to talk about the shorter catechism, the larger catechism, then I started delving into the law or the Lord's Prayer, what the Word of God is, things I've never heard before. It was... I mean, it was life-changing. Um, and then, so when I took that Westminster Standards class with Dr. Ross, um, I never heard, officially had Dr. Kelly in a classroom, but, you know, I make it up to Carthage about once a month and, and go visit him uh, as we uh, banter along, kind of like we're doing right now, but That's have right. deep theological conversations at the same time. So is he going to be our guest one day, or are we going to bring him in? I can talk him into it. That's it. You know, he did do the shorter catechism in modern English one time, mm-hmm. even though I, you know, I don't think it's his greatest work. But did he read it like James Earl Jones style? Yeah, I'm I'm sure we could convince him of doing something like that as well. Beautiful. Um, yeah, I, you know, and if you, nothing else, we'll have Doctor Kelly read some mm, answers of the larger catechism for us. Beautiful. There will be all kinds of fangirling going on around here. You know, our friend Derek over here is a fangirl, but I don't know if he's a fangirl of Doug Kelly or a fangirl of another. Uh, shall we just say pop star who will be yet unnamed on the air? And we'll just <laughs> leave that for the listeners to figure out. Oh, there's no figuring it out. It's Taylor Swift. <laughs> and uh, hey, I, have, I have no shame. He Egregious. comes as his own accuser, brethren. He comes as his own accuser. It's a very. Charges it, are filed already. But let, in my defense, it's only two albums. And uh, not that that makes it any better or worse. That you've listened to more than two is. <laughs> Simply stunning. Not just songs, but albums. Albums, wow. And with that newfound revelation, it may be that this podcast is never, ever, ever getting back together. We're not going to get off the ground after this one. We're not. We we cannot recover. There's no recovery from this. Spin, who lit the flame of the fire of the standards in your heart? Benjamin David Ratliff. He gave me my first cloth-bound copy of the Westminster Confession of Faith, Larger and Shorter Catechisms, and I still have that copy. It's actually in my brown satchel. Yes, I am the satchel man uh, in all of the stock photos. Uh, But no, Ben gave me that catechism. I was a bright-eyed, bald-headed, (laughs) bushy-tailed new Presbyterian. I was newly married, and my wife and I moved over to Salisbury, Maryland, and he put that in my hands. And it red-pilled me. It was, it was stellar. Uh, I'd never been in a church that was using or making use of the confession to the degree that Ben was in his discipleship of me. And then I went to Second Presbyterian Church, and I saw the fruits of catechesis. And I saw the children of that church and how they had a fuller body of religion mm. as small children than I did as a teenage boy. Mm. And I was persuaded at that moment, that coupled with the harmony of the Westminster Standards by Morton Smith that we used at Greenville Seminary, I was persuaded that I needed to get this into my kids' hands and into my kids' hearts as soon as humanly possible. Hence, began the practice of catechizing our little ones at home. So That's great. Nick, I, I suspect that you and I might have pretty similar names as to who lit the fires of the standards in our hearts get to say it first. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Uh, You know, I grew up Baptist, and one of the things that appealed to me about the Reformed faith was the depth of doctrinal truth there expressed. And I studied theology at Mississippi College in a Baptist program, and I found myself constantly tripping over my own feet with with a lack of ability to put words to these theological truths that I'd come to believe. 
And the place that I first encountered uh, the catechism and the standards in a, in a very living, vibrant way was in the preaching of, of Ligon Duncan. And I was reading the larger catechism at the time, uh, just drinking in Reformed theology. And what I was hearing was a man using the clear language, the clear formula to apply wonderful, eternal, transcendent doctrines to the Christian life. And I was so tremendously helped. And so I would say it was the, the effect of the standards, the larger catechism on preaching so that it would have depth and clarity that was so self-affirming um, to me about that. Derek Thomas as well, quite obviously. And then there's a second piece now. Uh, this comes after seminary. I, I'd studied them tremendously, but I was so impacted in the first call that I took in, in uh, Yazoo City at Second Presbyterian Church. Um, one of the covenant children uh, was at, at Ole Miss, Ole Miss uh, up in Oxford, and he came home and he said to his dad, one of my ruling elders, he said, Dad, they're always pressuring me and trying to convince me uh, that uh, the Bible isn't true. And he said, but Dad, I'm ready, and I have answers, and it's because I was catechized. Mm. I'm never left without a word. Mm. And uh, that stuck with me, and as a father, it really instructs me, I think. That is, that's good. And Derek, to answer your question, I, I have similar answers, just like Nick said. I have Professor Dr. Derek Thomas, who taught the Westminster Standards class for us at, at RTS Jackson, which was just tremendous. And then really just the preaching of Ligon Duncan and then David Strain after him because those were those men were our two pastors. Sarah and I worshipped at First Presbyterian in Jackson during our seminary years, and so Ligon and David were our, were our pastors, and and that that catechetical emphasis that came through in their preaching and in their discipleship just so greatly blessed us and edified us, and that lit the, those first flames, so to speak, of just excitement for the Westminster Standards, not as some sort of austere doctrinal thing, you know, this archaic thing of head knowledge, but as, as vital for true lived piety in the Christian life. Like Sean, Duncan and David, that's a you know, that's a pretty good lineup of pastors. <laughs> I mean, um, if you're going to get a lineup, I mean, it's not the Dr. Doug Kelly, you know, Pastor Matt Adams at First Pres Dillon, but I mean, <laughs> we'll go with it. Well, we, we, uh, all, we all need aspirations. Yes. Well, but you know, I mean, we there's a little bit of a theme that's being set here. You know, even, you know, Dr. Doug Kelly, First Pres Dillon, Germany. The excellence for Reformed Theological Seminary, is that where you're going with this? That, that's, that's exactly <laughs> where I'm going with this. Um, but there, there's a legacy that's being created, right? Mm-hmm. By, by catechizing children, by ensuring uh, that our people in the church are well-discipled by using the catechisms. Just, I mean, just a, a great story of First Pres Dillon. We had the same lady teach catechism, kids... Shorter, larger. She would teach all three catechisms to our kids, our youth, and then would actually help do adult training for like fifty years. And so, all the elders that I that I serve with, alongside of at First Pres Dillon, they've all been catechized by Mrs. Francis. You know, Miss Francis is going home to glory now. But I mean, but but it's the same thing Nick was saying. They are never left without an answer. Um, they always know where we're going, where we're trekking to in sermons, in session meetings, presbytery meetings, because of that robust catechism training that they received in the local church. And that, that's something that needs to be uh, brought back uh, within the modern-day 
uh, Presbyterian and Reformed world as well. We need a robust mm. catechism training in our churches. Yeah. What a distinctive of the Reformed and Presbyterian tradition where we were all using the same catechism. You know, we all came to believe and to love the Reformed faith using the same catechism. And some of us had the advantage of being catechized when we were very young, and others of us had to wait until we were older. But, I mean, it's the same document. And you think about how many other communions and collections of Christians can say the same thing, that this same document was so instrumental in my sanctification and my maturation and growth and grace not many can, so this is a real gem of the Reformed and Presbyterian tradition. So mm-hmm. as, as you all are exchanging these things, the names are different, but the standards are the same, mm-hmm. and we need to appreciate that, I think, because we can forget how good we have it as a Reformed and Presbyterian folk. That's right. I mean, we all enjoy the legacy of the words of our fathers, and in all honesty, we, we've given names, but but ultimately we can say that we're in the same line of the fathers like B.B. Warfield and James Henley Thornwell and the Westminster Assembly. We can say that likewise we're drinking of the same fountain that nourished J.C. Ryle and the Scottish Reformation. And that's a significant thing. We talk about Catholicity. These doctrines belong to the church, and they are for us that we might grow up unto Christ. So... You know, I, I love what you guys have brought up about uh, the children being catechized in the church. And I would just say, how encouraging is it when you hear a child recite some truth of the faith? So I remember I, I teach the um, catechism and communicants class at our church. And recently um, we had one come in, and uh, she was one who was a little on the young side, and the parents wondered even about whether or not uh, she was ready, but she made a a very credible profession of faith. There was fruit in her life, even though she was young, and I remember bringing her in, and on the first day, I asked them, what is the gospel, and and the way I phrased it, I said, what has Jesus done for us? And I I remind you that we, we, again, we say the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. And I asked this little girl, I said, what has Jesus done for us? And without hesitation, she said, he was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. I mean, she began to quote what we bring up. Well, isn't it the same, you know, with our standards? And when you hear a young child and you say, um, you know, what's the chief end of man? Or what's the... You know, you ask all these questions, and they they do. They have that answer that that Nick was talking about. They have something to bring. And there is something, honestly, even though she was given an answer and it was a heartfelt answer, I think in that moment that was a gift from the Lord for my own personal sanctification to hear this little child recite the truths of the faith that she's heard over and over and over again. And, you know, Nick mentioned B.B. Warfield. Warfield is one of those who you can look up, and he mentioned um, how his mother taught him the catechism and taught him the foundations of the faith from a young age, and that stuck with him forever. Hmm. I mean, that's this is a big deal. So the larger catechism is a tool for us to disciple our people, and it's a, it is a, uh, a blessing to watch our uh, people, our children, our mothers, our brothers, our fathers, our sisters, all those things. To, to recite these truths and have these words 
and say, you have confessed the same faith um, that has been confessed throughout the ages. You join with both the tri- the church triumphant and the church militant in these things, and it doesn't matter if you're five or 55, it's the same answers. And I just think that's such a blessing and such a tool, and I, I hope this podcast encourages people to to dive into that and to use it. That's good. Well, guys, as we're looking towards wrapping it up here, you know, it's funny, we're all ordained elders in the PCA. We're here gathered in Memphis, Tennessee on the eve of the beginning of the this year's PCA General Assembly, so we're able to be physically in the same room together, whereas most of the time we'll probably be uh, remote and so forth. But I think it's fair to say, it's probably it probably goes without saying, but this is not meant to be a PCA-exclusive endeavor. We happen to be PCA ministers, but this is meant, we hope, uh, to be a, a blessing and benefit to our uh, wider NAPARC and even beyond uh, neighbors, uh, folks in other Reformed churches, other Reformed denominations in North America uh, and in Europe, any sort of English speaking, or if they want to take the time to translate it anywhere else as well. But we hope that this is uh, a project uh, that, is a, uh, that is a blessing and edifies all kinds of people in all kinds of places, well beyond uh, the bounds of our particular denomination. Hey, Sean, I, I feel like we have our first caller is Martin Lloyd Jones on line one? I think that's right. Who's who's got someone's got that that phone over there? What did Lloyd Jones? What what would he? I wonder what he would say about this podcast idea. I think that the Westminster Larger Catechism is a wonderful document. I'm very thankful that you men are working your way through the Westminster Larger Catechism. Um, what a pleasure to be here, to be a fly on the wall in this entire endeavor. So occasionally I'll make the uh, appearance early on the podcast, but um, until then, thank you for your efforts, gentlemen, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. What a wonderful treat it is to have the doctor, not only as a guest visiting the PCA General Assembly this year, but even taking the time to step into the studio on this maiden voyage of our podcast. Yo, what welcome. a remarkable thing that is. Yeah, I'm truly remarkable. I'm glad that you recognize that. <laughs> well, folks, I think we've done as much damage as we can do. And out of the four people who might have been listening to this, we've lost all of them besides one another at this point. So it might be safe to say it's time to wrap it up for this evening. We are the remnant. The remnant. Of those who have endured. So we're fine. <laughs> well, guys, I'm looking forward to going through this with you. I think it'll be a lot of fun as we're going through these 196 questions of the Westminster Larger Catechism for the next year or two. We're not in any particular hurry, but we hope that it's useful to the church. Uh, we hope that it's, I, I'm sure, to be useful just for our own lives. But on behalf of Nick and Derek and Matt and Stephen and myself, thank you all for tuning in to listen to this. And if you should so choose to... Uh, risk your life and livelihood by tuning in again. We'll look forward to having you join us. Until next time, this is Larger for Life. You have been listening to Larger for Life, a podcast on the Westminster Larger Catechism, sponsored by the Blue Ridge Institute for Theological Education. For more information about this podcast, please visit our website on Podbean at largerforlife.podbean.com, where you can subscribe to the podcast in the podcast platform of your choice and browse past episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter or Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow us at Larger for Life Podcast. And on Facebook, you can follow us at facebook.com slash largerforlife. Be sure to tune in next time and join us again at Larger for Life, a podcast on the Westminster Larger Catechism. Mm-hmm.